All right, all right, all right. Back by popular demand. People have been asking me to bring back this podcast. I didn't officially send it anywhere. But people have been asking, and I got an email yesterday, the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, damn it. I'm starting this again. For what it's worth, episode 63, I believe, is where we're at. Could be 62. And as you can you can hear, I am not my normal self. I am just back from Albania. And uh, I picked up a little critter, a little friend along the way of some sort. I've been COVID testing myself every day. Negative, negative, negative. Um, but who knows? <clears throat> I did wear a mask the entire time. Myself and my co-instructor and our students, I think we're the only people in the entire country that wore a mask. Uh, Albanians apparently were told they were in a special green zone where it was COVID-free. Which, you know, in terms of wishful thinking, that's a pretty good one at the top of the list. But I'm getting ahead of myself because we are going to talk about workshops. We're going to talk about Albania. We're going to talk about a camera dilemma that I'm in. We're going to talk about the usual suspects. And uh, for those of you who are new to this podcast, uh, and by the way, I'm in the van in a driveway in Maine, not the driveway I'm normally in. I'm actually across the street. And uh, I'm going to be sniffling, coughing. I've asked my wife and her uncle to stay away for at least an hour. Um, I'm skeptical if that will happen. And their yard sale stuff, they're doing a huge yard sale Saturday and Sunday. And there are people pulling up in front of the house right now. They're not even close to doing the yard sale. And already people are massing. They're, for, they're forming a skirmish line 30 feet apart uh, to attack this yard sale. Me, I will be as far away as humanly possible. I can't stand yard sales. And uh, even if I'm healthy, I can't stand them. But I apologize for sniffling and coughing and having to drink water. But uh, I just, this was, it's a Friday. And I got everything done I needed to get done blurb-wise this week. We're also going to talk about blurb uh, and some AG23 updates. Uh, a lot going on there. All right, let's unpack. I start this podcast, for those of you who are new, by giving you an idea of something that you might like or be into, and if you are, then you will probably be a good fit for this podcast. Who is this podcast for? And this week, if you are a season ticket holder to the Weeder Bikini Model World Championships, then you, my friend, you found your home. Welcome aboard. This is the podcast for you. Let me repeat that. The Weeder Bikini Model World Championships. I didn't know this stuff was still going on. Apparently it is. I'm very happy about that. Um, if, you're, if you've got your fanny pack on now, maybe you're at home and you are still got your fanny pack on, this podcast is for you. Or maybe you're doubling down. You've got fanny pack and clown pants, those big balloony pants that bodybuilders love. If you're wearing those and a fanny pack and you're polishing your season tickets to the upcoming Weeder Bikini Model World Championships, then I think you're, you bas- basically you better subscribe to this podcast because it's right down the, it's a fastball right down the middle of the plate at about 85 miles an hour right? That thing is, it's a tater waiting to be jacked. Okay. And finally, maybe if you're shooting Diana ball in your neck right now, that would also be a good indicator that you might like this podcast, which I can't recommend, but I am not a medical professional. I also start this podcast by giving us a hero of the week and a goat of the week. And the hero of the week is threefold, fourfold this week. And the hero, the goat is just one, but he's representative of an entire movement that we're going to talk a little bit more about. There's incredible times here in America. For those of you who are tuning in from foreign lands that we haven't bombed, uh, it's a weird time here. We are at at a precipice, my friends and family, 
and uh, it's not looking pretty. We, we are putting ourselves on display every day for the rest of the world to see, and man, do we look bad. But no one cares anymore. We're, we're past the point of, uh, of caring. So the hero of the week, number one, it's just going to slot him in, Canadian Keanu Reeves, right? Not the greatest actor in the world. Let's be honest. Sorry, Keanu. Love him. Love the guy. Seems like a normal dude. Into the motos. Uh, gazillionaire from his movies. And uh, he seems still fairly normal. So, And he's Canadian. So slam dunk right there. Always Canadian. I love you, Canada. If I could defect and prove that I could get a job, maybe I head your way. Winter sucks, though. I would need to, I don't know, spend open an office in Bora Bora to balance things out. Okay, second hero of the week, civilians taking up arms in Ukraine. Now, this morning, I was joking with a friend of my wife's uncle, and he was asking me about Albania. And I said, well, remember, and, you know, People here, let me just give you a little precursor to this workshop talk. When you're an American and you tell people you're going to Albania, you'll get questions like, where in South America is it? Or, I can't believe you're going that close to the war in Ukraine. Or, why do you want to go to Russia? But people have absolutely zero knowledge or understanding of where Albania is. None. And when you say, well, Greece borders the country to the south, they just glaze over. And then they try to squirm. Because it's apparent that they don't know their, their map. So it's, uh, it's kind of embarrassing for people. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, civilians taking up arms. This guy, we were joking this morning about people in the U.S. complaining about everything. You know, it was, oh, I can't wear a mask during the, during the pandemic. It's, you know, a violation of my civil liberties. Oh, the traffic in Boston is terrible. Oh, just everything, complaining about every single thing. And I was like, well... Just imagine being under a dictator for 50 years where you couldn't communicate with the outside world. The entire population is being surveilled. Everything is controlled. You say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. You either end up in a, in a work camp or they execute you or both. And that goes all the way up to the Politburo members. I was told a story on this trip about a Politburo member who was sent to a UN mission in uh, Norway. Made it, came back, made a comment to the dictator just off the cuff, like, hey, their stores are full of goods. And that guy was sent to prison camp and then executed. And he was a Politburo member. So we complain about everything. And I see, like, my the version of me who lives in Ukraine waltzing down to the, to the, to the supply line, getting an AK and a magazine, and heading to the front line. Like, that is mind-blowing. And I think Americans have just, we're so isolated over here. No idea. No idea. Case in point, the moral of the story, the takeaway, just shut the hell up and stop complaining. Okay, another hero of the week, Steve Bannon. Okay, not really, but Steve Bannon's hair and jacket, majestic. I mean, majestic like a translucent steed riding through the gates of Zion. His hair is just a billowy, flowing waterfall of goodness. If you haven't seen Steve Bannon's hair, and I think Steve Bannon watches a lot of spy movies, you know, it's the, it's the, and his jacket is a big part of that because he wears a barber jacket. And I'm sure the people at Barber in the UK are like, oh God, please don't wear that jacket. And he wears it 24 seven. It's the Paul Bremer combat boot version, modern era, Steve Bannon, majestic mullet-like hair flowing over the back of the, um, of the barber jacket. It's his little costume, and I think he sits around in his, quote, war room, 
probably eating nothing but fried food by the looks of him. He's one of the most unhealthy-looking individuals I've ever seen. And the fact that he's still alive is kind of a testament to how tough he is. Because, sorry, I got sniffles, man. I got, I got just fluids running out of me. Um, luckily, not from all orifices. That would be a tricky podcast to pull off. But, uh, yeah, and I'm coated in green. The pollen in Maine is, the tread pattern in my tires is green. Um, I just helped someone move a table. The entire front of my body was green. I went for a motorcycle ride just to get some uh, miles on it and run some gas through it. And my entire face and front of my body was green from the pollen. That's not helping at all. So Bannon, I think, watches war movies and spy movies and sits around in the war room scheming to take down America. Now, he's also the guy that ran ran all these little scaredy cats run as soon as the the screws are put to him and you know tries to evade all of the indictments against him and all that no no one has the guts to just man up and say yeah i did it what are you going to do about it none of them they all blow hard and but his jacket and hair regardless of how you feel about steve bannon you cannot deny the majesty of those two things okay last hero of the week and i think i've had him as a hero before and i'm doing it again because i don't care and it's my podcast is jeff bridges in king kong because he utters the single best line about photography in the history of photography. And Jeff Bridges, there's a lot of celebrities masquerading as photographers who get free cameras from companies like Leica and others, and they suck. They're just not photographers at all. They just get stuff because they're famous. Bridges has some, he's got some pedigree. The dude has been seriously devoted to photography for probably 50 years and shooting on sets, and he's good. I've been to a couple of his exhibitions. I went to his show at MOPA in San Diego, and uh, it was good. I have, to, I have to admit, got to give the guy credit, and I just love him as an actor. My all-time favorite Jeff Bridges film is King Kong from, I believe, 1976. I was seven and didn't get to watch it. Probably would have scared the crap out of me. I'd probably be, still be scared of any primate today if I had seen that as a seven-year-old. Good move on my parents' part. Now, on the flip side, I also was not allowed to watch Jaws, but my father, in a moment of just daring parenthood, thought the deer hunter was just fine. Hey, we're not going to let you watch Jaws or Apocalypse Now. But hey, there's this little picture, a little feel-good picture called The Deer Hunter. Let's go ahead and watch that. Oh, that's a Russian roulette scene. Oh, that's blood spurting from the side of Walken's head. That was fine. Um, never gave me nightmares, though. Jaws did, eventually. I still do. I go in the water here in Maine, and I'm like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And then I just try to get a little bit closer to shore than the guy next to me. That's my whole plan. So Bridges and King Kong drops the single best line of photography in the history of the world, where he's approached by Groden. He's a stowaway on the ship. They catch him. He, you know, he comes out, makes this pronouncement about the white veil of this island, and there's, you know, could the veil could have been caused by the respiratory breath of of a primate or something along those lines. I should know it word for word. Uh, and he, uh, they, they, they sort of arrest him on the ship, and then Groden realizes he kind of needs him. Groden goes to him and says, you're pretty good with that camera of yours, right? And he, shirtless, buttoning up his army jacket with his long hair and long beard, this is 1976, by the way, looks at him and says, I've snapped a few monkeys, Fred. And that to me, I was like, that's it. If, if, cinema is over for me. Forget Casablanca. This is Casablanca. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever ever dream of watching that now, now that I've seen this King Kong. Okay, so that was Who Is This For? Anyone season ticket holder to the Weeder Bikini Model World Championships? Our heroes are Keanu Reeves 
civilians in taking up arms in Ukraine, Steve Bannon's hair and jacket, and Jeff Bridges in King Kong because he uttered, I've snapped a few monkeys, Fred. Uh, just a side note here before we proceed. COVID is raging in the United States. And the one thing that we learned uh, from COVID in the United States is that we didn't learn anything about COVID in the United States. We are the most entitled, dumb group of people the world has ever seen. It is raging. So according to the official stats, there's 100,000 cases a day, but that's only the people who are in the medical system, hospitalized or getting treatment where that official testing is being tracked. The rest of the te testing centers are, are closed. No one is testing. Everyone around me has COVID or just had it or is going to get it because they're acting like it's gone. We haven't learned anything. And oh, by the way, the World Health Organization released their official report right before I left for Albania. And basically it was, we're screwed because we're out of money, we're out of patience, we're entitled, and we are no better prepared for the next one than we were for this one. That should be a rocket across the bow for Americans, but it's not. In fact, I saw a person I saw this morning said, I just went to a four-day concert and every single person I went with got it. And I'm like, well, if you go inside for four days in a crowd right now, you will get COVID. That, that is, I'm not sure of a lot of things in life, but that's right near the top of the list. This is such, it, to me, it's such an embarrassment for, again, we're supposed to be like the nation on earth, right? The United States, the darling. We are the, the polished gem in the world. And yet we cannot get it together when it comes to this problem. It is astounding to me. Getting people to wear masks. There is no one wearing a mask anywhere except me and my wife because I badger her. And a handful of my friends. That's it. People that look at you with a mask and be like, huh? It's, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. Just throw that out there. Okay. Our go to the week. And I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean complete jackass of the week. And this week's is maybe the best one I have ever seen. Because for those of you who don't know, what's going down in the U.S. right now is the January 6th committee is publicizing a lot of the information and the testimony surrounding what happened on January 6th. Now, again, we're morons, right? As a, as a population base, we are undereducated and not real bright. And when you're undereducated and you're not real bright, you're prone to radicalization and you're prone to conspiracy and you're prone to buying more things and you're prone, you're prone to more reliance on big corporations and big tech. And that is exactly where the government wants you. They want you dumb watching TV and basically going along with whatever scheme that they want to go along with next. So we have the January 6th committee, which is unveiling what went down behind the scenes of January 6th and what led up to January 6th and the last few weeks, months of the Trump administration leading into the election. And as we all know, with anything detailing and anything having any connection to Donald Trump whatsoever, it's bad. I mean, we knew it was going to be bad. This is maybe even worse than we expected. You know, he tried to infiltrate the Department of Justice. He lied every single step of the way. All of the Republican congressmen lied with him, the ones that are trying to now, behind the scenes, were secretly trying to get pardons because they knew they might have uh, exposed themselves to uh, criminal indictment. This goes on and on and on. But the, the single most profound statement about the state of the United States in general 
was made by Rusty Bowers. Now, Rusty Bowers testified, and it was damning to Trump. Anyone who's a Trump supporter who actually watches this, if you're like a normal human being who happens to support Trump because you vote historically vote Republican, and you watch these hearings and you don't come away saying, I can't vote for that guy ever again, and we should indict all of these people that helped to conspire to create these, uh, to commit these crimes, then you're lost cause because you're down that radicalized uh, path of saying, I'm going to vote Republican regardless, and I don't care what anybody says or does, and I don't believe any of that. And that's kind of what's happening in the States. I spoke to a Trump supporter yesterday, a friend, longtime friend, and I mentioned something that was, oh, it was a list. It was a list of Trump donors, which is public record, by the way. It's not like I'm a spy and I somehow came up with this list. Trump's donors are public record. Anybody can look it up. And when I said, do you know so-and-so is on the list, my, my Trump-supporting friend said, well, where are you getting your information? As if the news source that I'm getting it from is tainted. And I said, it's not a news source. It's public record. And they still were like, no, no, no. Well, he, the person said, well, I don't look at public record. And I said, well, go to any credible news source. I said, go to any major newspaper in America. Just start there. Well, I don't look at those. I said, well, try The Guardian in the UK. Well, I don't look at The Guardian. You see where this is going. There was nothing I could do ever to put anything in front of them that would dissuade them from voting Republican in 2024 and the midterms. They just don't care about math, science, truth, fact, reality, any of that stuff. But Bowers summed it all up. Because Bowers got up and testified and basically just absolutely crucified the actions of Trump, right? And, and basically what was happening behind the scenes. And it's illegal activity, what they're trying to do. It's overturning the Department of Justice to try and then go out and, and overturn the election, which everyone in his staff and cabinet, everyone was saying, dude, there is no evidence. You're completely making this up and just leave it. Then Bowers turns around and says, well, if Trump runs in 2024... I would vote for him. Let me repeat that. This guy got up in front of Congress under oath and testified as to what Trump was doing after the, after the election, illegally trying to overturn it, and said he was trying to take over the Justice Department. The, all of us threatened to resign. He tried to install this guy named Jeffrey Clark, who had no training, who was a complete shill for Trump. And we realized that our Constitution and our democracy was at risk and so we said, we will, all we will all resign in force. The entire staff of the DOJ will resign. Um, and then this clown, Bowers, literally said, well, but if he runs in 2020, uh, 2024, I'll vote for him again because he's representing the party. That right there is the most profound statement about the current affairs in the United States that I've ever heard. If that doesn't prove rapid, rabid stupidity, political radicalization, and the demise of our democracy. And frankly, um, actually, a Brazilian student that we had in, in, uh, in Albania, you know, he said it very eloquently. He was like, democracy is broken. It doesn't work like we originally intended it. So democracy in America is not working, hasn't been working in a long time. But to listen to Bowers admit what Trump has done and then say that he would vote for him because it was party line, None of this matters. Like these January 6th things, are they going to indict anybody? Probably not. Is anybody going to go to jail? Probably not. You know, if you're white and you're wealthy and you're connected, you're pretty much immune. You can do whatever you want, including try to turn over a presidential election, corrupt the DOJ, lie, cheat, and steal for four years, and nothing's going to happen. And so my friends who are like left-leaning and libs and they're out there saying, oh, you know, they're going to indict him and he's never going to be able to run. I don't think so.
I don't think anything will happen to any of these people, including Navarro and Bannon and the, the three or four that are really exposed. I don't think Roger Stone got a pardon. You know, Kushner, all he was doing was pardoning people as fast as possible. I don't think any of these people are going to, nothing's going to happen. I think the Republicans are going to dominate the midterms and they're going to win the 2024 election because the Democrats are asleep at the wheel. They're talking about Biden running again. Are you kidding me? He's 128 years old. Kamala Harris has done nothing. She's completely AWOL absent. I have not seen a story, seen, heard, or anything about her for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. In the middle of all this, no idea what's happening. They have no new candidates. They have no middle-of-the-road neutral Democrats who could work with both sides of of the aisle. Not that the Republicans would ever agree to do that. But, you know, where's the 45-year-old man or woman or whoever that is saying, look, this is all ridiculous and idiotic and we need to revamp the system? Let's get started. Like, we got work to do, people, to get this country back up and running again. And uh, nobody. The Democrats have done zero. And so the, the Republicans are not only realizing they're in a street fight, they're willing to break every rule there is. They're going to gerrymander. They're going to make it hard to vote. They're going to do everything in their power to corrupt the system to remain in power. And the Republicans are doing, they've been doing that for since Trump got in there. And they haven't stopped. And you got the clown DeSantos in Florida, who's probably worse than Trump because he's just as psychotic, but he's smarter. He's more intelligent than Trump. He's, he's kind of bumbling and clumsy, too. And by the way, the press conference where he was crying and gasping for air, one of my all-time favorite pressers, I have to admit. This is a guy that was like the COVID denier, and he was sick as a dog, my guess, with COVID and could barely breathe and was crying at the podium. I was like, that's maybe the best presser ever. Because remember, as a photographer, press conferences suck. They suck. Man at podium. Woman at podium. Speaking, uh, microphone, shoot shallow depth of field, try not to get the ceiling lights in, balance for the right color balance, all this stuff. It's horrible. They're boring and awful, and you've got to hold your long lens up for a long period of time. So if someone is gasping and crying, easy pickings. Those pictures are easy. Thank you, Ron DeSantos, for not getting vaccinated or whatever you did. Okay, let's move on. We're 20 minutes in. I'm just getting warmed up, and I will probably lose my voice by the end of this, but I don't care. Uh, That means I don't have to talk to anyone else. I've got some really fun points this week. (coughs) Oof. Number one. This came after four weeks on the road. Hear me out. Hear me out. I know what you're... I I can see you getting upset. I can feel it. Calm down. Hear me out. The only way we save the planet. The only way is we have to collect all of the smartphones. We have to collect all of the smartphones. We, this is not, we will not save ourselves. We will not live the planet. The planet will live, we won't, unless we collect all the cell phones. Now, that was plan A, part one, phase one. Phase two is you will get a device back in return. And oh, by the way, I know you spent like $5,000 on your cell phone. We're going to give you a dollar or a euro or a whatever, pound or lek or whatever you want for that. You're going to get one. So it's going to be fair. You're going to get a dollar and we're going to take that phone back. And we're going to give you something back in return. That's going to look a lot like what you had before. Whether you're a Android, Apple, Blackberry, flip phone, I don't care. You're going to get something back. Relax. 
this device. I don't know. Maybe it's smart. Maybe it's a little less smart. Maybe it's a semi-smartphone. It's going to have two features. <coughs> it's going to work as a phone. You can make a phone call. No more long, endless email chains. No more text streams. Just you and I, a 30 to 60 second phone call. We can solve any problem we have. That's it. Easy, efficient. Number two, it has GPS. It has a map. That's it. That is all you get. There's no internet. There's no email. There's no texting. There's no uh, advertising. There's no buying apps. There's no Amazon. There is no social media. There's nothing. The only time you will use it is for a phone and a map. This is the only chance we have of saving the planet. And I'll tell you why. So, I'm in... I'm on the south southern coast of Albania. I'm working. I'm doing. I'm doing a week of blurb work. And I'm sitting in this little Airbnb. And I can see down. And there's a three-story, kind of a club slash restaurant, on the cliff overlooking the Adriatic or the Ionian. And uh, there's like five, six guys, all in their twenties, on staff, working full time, day and night. But there's no customers. So for all day and all night until I go to sleep and, and then I wake up in the morning, these five, six guys do nothing but sit and scroll on their phones. In addition, they shoot selfies. They shoot still selfies and they shoot videos of themselves for hours and hours and hours on end. Now, my guess is that not one of those guys did anything in that time scrolling to read or learn anything that would benefit them or the restaurant or the town or the country or the world, the planet, the solar system, whatever. Just mindless, mindless hour after hour. And guess what? Those lads, they're not alone. This is the bulk of the human population is doing this. We simply cannot survive that. It, it allows us to buy too much too easily. It, it pollutes our brain. It fills us with misinformation. It makes us lazy. It makes us angry. It makes us greedy. It makes us selfish. We cannot survive it. We have to get ready to give up your phone because any day now I expect to get a call on the red phone from command saying, all right, Put out the message, go to your local YMCA, go to your local Elks Lodge and turn in your phone and be prepared to get it replaced. Now, I'm, I'm, obviously this is never going to happen, but I'm serious about it. I, I really don't think we will survive the cell phone, the mobile phone, the smartphone. Uh, every indicator just makes me think because it's just taken over our being at such a level, I cannot fathom how we've allowed this to happen. And it seems to only be getting worse. Okay. Number two, which is sort of in line with the same first point. Number The second point is there's a lot of talk of climate change, right? That's everywhere now. And with all these crazy storms and floods and droughts and temperatures and all this stuff. And, you know, you still have the anti-science part of the Republican Party who's denying everything. The DeSantoses, the Trumps, anyone that has money in the game, especially in the fossil fuel arena. And both of those guys are completely in bed with fossil fuel 
they're not, of course, going to admit to anything. They're going to say, oh, humans have been around. This is no big deal. It's a cycle, whatever. It's the same stuff. Um, but and, and, and that doesn't bother me anymore because these guys are so transparent. They're so bumbling and transparent that you kind of – and that's not just those two guys. It's anyone with ties to fossil fuel. And by the way, I'm sitting in a van that burns fossil fuel, so I'm guilty as well. But the phrase that drives me crazy about climate change is the we still have time. So that's point number two. Point number two is we still have time. Now, to most first world people, when they hear that, they go, well, cool. That means I don't have to change anything or do anything. My point is we don't still have time. The indicators are there. Like we're already at the precipice and we're kind of maybe even tipped over the precipice, kind of starting to race down the backside. We don't have time. It's now or never. And my guess is never. I mean, if you travel, if you do any kind of travel at all, you realize your, your Enviro friends in the U.S., you know, recycling and, uh, you know, trying to get rid of their refrigerator, it has no impact whatsoever because the vast majority of the rest of the world does not have the ability to do these kind of things. And so we don't have a chance. My personal feeling, just to, just to end this point on an upbeat, upbeat notion, we have absolutely no chance at all to stop climate change. Zero. It's going to speed up. Now, here's the good part for you. And this is based on my incredible scientific knowledge and math skills. <clears throat> the end is going to come, and it's going to come sooner than people think, and it's going to be much quicker than people think. And that's a good thing, because when the end comes, it's going to come fast, and, and most of us are going to get wiped out. And frankly, the ones who get wiped out are going to be the lucky ones. Like, you want to be at, you want to be on the target when the warhead hits. Like, you want to be laying down with your groin across the crosshairs like where the crosshairs on the ground the big circular bullseye you want your groin right on the crosshairs when the warhead hits that's the best place to be uh the worst place to be is in like topeka and you somehow survive and then all of your bug out gear doesn't matter because you can't go anywhere and so you bug out at home and then starve or die of radiation poisoning so that those, I'm not an expert, but those both sound pretty negative. They sound like a bummer. So I would try to avoid that. Okay. Point number three, blurb slash AG23 update. Um, this, is, this is how crazy uh, coincidence happens. So over the past six months or so, because COVID is, you know, we're sort of, people are saying it's over, it's over. And everyone's like, hopefully trying to get business back in track around the world. <clears throat> blurb has sort of rebuilt the marketing team, which for me is amazing. Because we have a badass team of really talented people, and we have new stuff coming, right? Which I don't know anything about because they can't tell me because if I was accidentally to leak it and it didn't happen. Same thing happened at Kodak back in the day. I don't even ask. When I get it, I get it, and I'll make sense of it then. But <clears throat> my boss, I'd never met. And so I'm talking to her on the phone. She's like, where are you? I said, I'm, I'm in Maine. She goes, well, I'm in New Hampshire. I was like, you're kidding me. He goes, let's get together. So I had a three-hour meeting in person with my boss outside here in Maine. It was amazing. And we schemed. We scammed. We talked about the future. I pitched a couple of things in places around the world. One down under. And another one in, uh, poof, I make a picture. That'll give you a hint. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, these things are coming up. This would be kind of interesting. This would be good. She asked what my travel schedule was. I said, wide open. Uh, and so there's a whole lot of stuff happening. There's a just a mountains of work to do. Hang on.
Oh, yeah. I should cut that out, but I'm not going to. I don't have time to edit. So anyway, this magical thing. And one of the things we talked about was AG. And I said, look, Beyond is out as a sponsor. No hard feelings whatsoever. We had two amazing issues with them. But Blurb has never really been a part of this. Yes, we printed it, but there's no, really been no support at all, which I'm both frustrated with but also happy with because AG23 is not a marketing exercise for blurb we have a marketing department we do tons of marketing campaigns all the time that's not what ag is i printed it with blurb we printed it with blurb rick and i because it made sense i worked at blurb and we love the format blurb makes the six nine trade book we got a we got a matte cover on it we like the paper uh i was like this is great it's a non-precious object i love the format i love the size great boom done but now i'm like why are we not using this out of our marketing department as just like a great thing that celebrates photography and printing and story and everything else. And I was like, <clears throat> I said, look, let's feature traditionally published books. Maybe let's feature something that we see that's great that's coming through the Blurb bookstore. And then let's just keep publishing stories that we believe in from creatives that we like who are doing good work. And she was like, I really like that. So the short of the update is there could be something really good on the way with AG. Now, again, a boatload of work. For those of you who think this is easy to put out an issue of something like AG, you are wildly uh, off off base. It is not easy. It's expensive, time-consuming. And I also said, look, we got to keep paying contributors. I think that's a big part of it. And let's do a grant program. Let's offer grants. Let's find people who are like mid-story or three-quarters of the way through. They just need a little bit to get over the hump. And let's do it. Maybe that's an airline ticket. Maybe that's, I don't know, printing a book mock-up. Whatever it is that helps them. And then, as a trade for the grant program, we get to publish a little excerpt of whatever that project is going to be in the zine. And then, by the way, we're, the zine is free, and we're sending the zine out. So we're marketing that person again. And so I think it could be really fun. Now, again, all of this stuff is wildly complicated. It is time-consuming and expensive. And anytime you're dealing with creatives, it's complicated. You get a lot of ego, you get insecurity, you get people threatening you, you get people who are uh, claiming that you're ripping them off. I mean, it's crazy. It, there are days where you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to work with prosumers, but I don't want to work with pros because they're too hard to work with. That is just a reality. Anytime you're working around a, pre a professional organization, you're going to have people that are really challenging to work with. And so the goal is to avoid them and work with the people who understand what this is and say, fantastic. And oh, by the way, speaking of this, I'll give you a perfect example. Jan Buchowski, who was we published in the second issue. She did a story called Ceremony, <clears throat> which is about Mescalero Apache maidens, 13-year-old girls transitioning from girlhood to womanhood. And the tribe sees them as a very important part of their future. Well, we ran this story from Jan, which I love this story, and I love Jan too. She entered it in the Society of American Travel Writers and won the Gold Award for Best Narrative Story with AG and called me and said, hey, guess what? You just you know, partially won the SATW Award. And I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, I entered AG and I won the Gold Award. So we know that the work that we're publishing is good. We know that AG has legs. And, uh, and the way that I would put it simplest is to say, I want Blurb involved without being involved. And anyone who works in marketing knows what I mean. 
It's like we can't have logos and like blurb stuff in the front and all of that. It's not about that. Yes, we printed it. And those of you who print, we will provide the recipe of what we did and how we did it. And that's all we need. I don't need to tell you that Blurb printed it. I don't need to be an infomercial for Blurb. If you're a creative and you look at Blurb and can't find a use for it, chances are you're not that good of a creative. Same could be said of Artifact Uprising or any other print platform. If you cannot MagCloud, if you can't see it and find a use, then you can't see much of anything because these platforms are fantastic. Are they perfect? Not even close. Would I change things? Absolutely. Would I add stuff? Of course. But man, what's already in place is badass and something I never had coming up. So anyway, that's where we are with Blurb and AG, fingers crossed. Point number four, workshops. Just came back from almost four weeks in Albania. We taught two classes, one in the south, one in the north. Very different trips. Southern trip is more what I would say cultural. Northern trip is more adventurous. There's more outdoor time. Long hikes up in the mountains, the Albanian Alps, which are absolutely incredible place. Um, and then the South, we hit, you know, both, both trips were in Toronto, the capital city. So we got some urban, what I call it is we, we vary the spacing. So the spacing in Toronto, Toronto is a big, uh, big modern city, uh, which is very much in transition right now in flux because of all the new development, but you've got tight spacing. You've got tight city streets, market spacing. Then we jump out to places like Korcha and Skoder where you've got what I would call medium spacing. And then we go further in the southern trip, we go to these little mountain hamlets. And then in the north, we go up into Valbona and the Albanian Alps, where you've got wide spacing. Now, I prefer my, my, the single best spacing for me is the middle spacing. Um, and I got plenty of it on the trip, even though, like I've said this many times before, when I'm teaching, the goal is to help people with their photography and their books. So the goal here was for people to shoot, and then we start designing and laying out magazines in real time. To finish a magazine in real time during the trip is a real feat, right? I didn't really expect anyone to do that. I pretty much did it in 2019 when I went to Albania on my, on my own. But remember, I've been doing this for a long time. And when I'm in the field, I pretty much know what I have. And I'm laying the things out in my head as I go. And even then, what I laid out was not a finished product. It was sort of a sketch because I knew I was going to go back and add to the story. And I did add to the story. And I added something new in a way that I think worked really well. And I think I maybe, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 pictures total from this year will end up in the project. But I was happy with what I made, you know, just kind of shooting here and there, not like going out every day and saying, I got to make pictures because I'm watching all the students work. And I love doing that because each human and each photographer approaches the world in such a different way and their physicality in the world as they're moving is really a roadmap to the style of photography that they're going to get. And they're also will give hints about what they want to do, the kinds of photography they want. And I can help by looking at that physicality in the world and seeing things that I can help like, you know, you know like hone or suggest. That's really it. It's not like I have some magic touch and I'm some brilliant guy. I've just done this a long time. So I can make observations and make suggestions. And then when it comes to the book and the magazine, Again, I've been doing this a long time. I can look at work. You know, one of, the, one of the students, for example, first time I sat down with him, he probably showed me 130 photographs, which is a ton. That's like way too many. But that fit his personality. And it also fit his cadence in life. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to look. And within 30 pictures, I knew the cadence of his photography. And I said, let me back up. 
look at this frame, this frame, and this frame. I said, those are your engagement points with each scene. And he said, oh, I never thought of that. I never saw that. And I said, that's what I do. That's what I can do is look, sit and look. And my co-instructor, Elena Dorfman, she started in news but now works in fine art. And she has, um, she has the same ability, probably way beyond mine. But she also sees in a different way, and she sees from a different market. So between the two of us, it's pretty interesting to have us sit and look and say, here are your engagement points. Here are the consistencies. This is sort of the direction I see this work going. And I think for most students, I think that's really helpful to say, oh, because when you get to a new country and you're starting to work and you go, I don't know what my story is, it can feel kind of like disconcerting because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And then we sit and look and say, look at these six images. Look at the, at the distance you made from the subject. Look at the composition and look at the consistency. That is the thread. And so often it's really hard for us to edit our own work. And when you have another set of eyes coming in to do it, it can be super helpful. So we are looking at a return to Albania in the spring of next year. And then the fall of next year, I'm looking at Peru. And I think what we're looking at is a uh, streets of Peru. It's going to be more of an urban street environment with, a, with an extension on the end, possibly for Machu Picchu, um, and also bookmaking. And then potentially spring of 2024, we are looking at Lebanon. So that could be very, very interesting. That is a place that has been on my map forever. I was greatly influenced by some of the photography that was happening in the 80s during the war in Lebanon. And uh, I think I showed that Eli Reed book. I did a film about the Eli Reed book and uh, many, many other people. Um, who's the uh, Raymond de Pardon, his stuff from there, Catherine Lois' work from, from uh, Lebanon. All of that stuff was influential to me. So I would love to go there and teach and really explore that myself. Okay, point number five. Russia is getting their ass kicked. Um, Putin has, is truly shown his colors as a madman. And he's like the Kim Jong Vladdy of, of that part of the world. Um, it's bad. I think the reports of, of, of the carnage are probably exponentially beyond where the reports are. I think the Russians are just feeding young men into a slaughterhouse, and uh, it's not good. And he's just going to keep feeding and keep feeding. And he's a very, very isolated, unpredict unpre unpredictable guy. And it's really sad because Ukraine is just getting torn apart. And there's only so much the outside world can do because Putin will literally start raining nukes on whatever because he, I don't know, he's in a separate parallel universe, probably texting with Kim Jong. And uh, it's not good. I just want to say heart goes out to Ukraine <coughs> and those folks and the journalists covering that, trying to keep that story in the front and center. It's hard here in America when we're hearing and seeing evidence of a past president trying to overturn the democracy that has rocketed above the fold uh, on top of Ukraine. So anyway, Russia, Putin, he's on his way out. In my mind, he's already completely and utterly lost and will never win no matter what happens militarily. He's lost. Uh, let's just hope someone on the inside decides to, you know, talk him out of it. Okay, number six, a trend, a really interesting trend that I've noticed it's sickening. Now, sickening is the wrong word. It's depressing if you were prone to de being depressed. I am not. I expect it. But another famous YouTuber has crumbled and falled, um, citing, citing mental illness and mental health problems because they've clearly been living a facade for many, many years, successfully, mind you. Lots of viewers, lots of money, 
but not really the person. And eventually the algorithm will always win. The algorithm is like a white shark. It swims and it eats. It swims and it eats. And it will always win. This person crashes and burns, comes out and says, I'm suffering from some mental health issues and I've got to step away. This is the thing. But here's, here's the double rub. Here's what's happening. I noticed something. About 15 years ago, when someone on YouTube was getting famous, and deservedly so, I think this is a very talented person, there were six or eight others around at the same time who were sort of lesser versions of this person, all equally successful. Not as successful as the king, kingpin, but still doing well. Scattered around the world, by the way. And this number one kingpin person eventually... Again, same thing. Crash and burn, stops posting, mental health issues, well-publicized thing. These other people, same thing. Algorithm wins. It's going to crush you. It's just climbing up your spine very slowly every day till it gets to your cer cerebral cortex and your medulla oblongata, and it just latches on. All of these other people, same thing. Crash and burn. But here's what's happening now. There's a new shtick. There's a new scheme, a new scam. You grow your hair out, you get a nose ring, you go to India, you do ayahuasca. Let me repeat those four steps. If you've crashed and burned on YouTube and you were outed for being a complete phony, or maybe even you outed yourself and admitted to being a complete phony, and you're like, I can't do this anymore, and my life's horrible, and I'm miserable, and blah, 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 you grow your hair out. You get a nose ring, you make at least one trip to India, and you do ayahuasca. And then, my friends, you are officially a guru. You're a guru. These people are popping up all over the place. And guess what? It's going to work. Because the same dumbasses that followed these people in the first place are going to follow them, follow them as gurus. Because they're just as lost now as they were then. But I cannot believe this. I mean, these folks have zero training. They have zero knowledge of any of this. They're just co-opting that. And it's not like they're coming out and saying I'm a guru, but that's what they're trying to sell. And it's going to work because, you know, 12 to 16-year-olds who are lost, who are living in the suburbs on their phone all day. Hell, what's the difference between Osho, Jesus, uh, Allah, and, um, you know, this guy on YouTube? The guy on YouTube's accessible. He's right there. He's there every day, and he'll maybe answer a comment. I mean, it's a lot easier than these other options. So it's crazy, and uh, man, you, just when you think there could be less, you know, no less shame on YouTube, there it is. The last thing I'll mention is apparently a guy on YouTube crashed his plane on purpose for views and was outed and made a whole bunch of mistakes in the film. He left some serious bread trails, and the FAA... They're pretty good at looking for crumbs, and apparently they found some, and apparently he's in trouble, but he crashed his plane on purpose. If that doesn't speak to sort of the state that we're in, good grief. I mean, the, if that guy ever gets a flying license again, what's next? Like, well, how do you up that? Dude, crazy. All right, point number seven. Let's do let's some upbeat shit. Birding update. Oh my God, birding is, is just officially sandwiched itself into, uh, into my life. It's like a slice of bologna. 
that's right above the mayonnaise and right below the Velveeta. And that's what it is. I love birding. I'm sitting here in the van. I just put uh, new double A's in my binoculars this morning. My 20-something-year-old my Canon binoculars. Uh, I did get my grubby little mitts on some Fujinon binoculars before I left for Albania. Uh, three or four or five pairs. Fantastic. If you're looking for uh, binoculars, don't overlook Fujinon. I know Nikon, Leica, Shorovsky, or whatever the hell those guys are. <coughs> Fujinon. Really solid. Anyway, Albania was a nightmare because bird ID did not have a pack for Albania. So I'm seeing these birds I can't identify. I would say two-thirds of the birds I saw, I have no idea what they are. I saw a European magpie. Beautiful. One of the students on the northern trip, Sam, from the UK, was super good at birding. And Sam was like, oh, that's a so-and-so, that's a so-and-so. He saw an African migrant bird, migratory bird, African migrant. I guess he would call it that's an African migrant as a bird. And um, with this amazing red plumage on its head, I didn't see it. I saw a ton of birds I can't identify, which I don't care. I saw them. It was fun. It was fun looking. And the cool thing about birding is you do it anywhere, anytime. doesn't matter. I'm sitting here in the van right now. There's birds. Maine is a hot spot, man. There's tons here. And uh, I saw a great flycatcher yesterday. I saw some cardinals yesterday. I saw the robins. I saw great catbirds. I saw gulls of many kinds, uh, great cormorant, uh, tons of stuff around here. So I'm just getting warmed up. But birding, if you haven't done it, don't be thrown off by the <clears throat> elderly people in the Subaru with the ex officio clothing. They are harmless. They are knowledgeable. They are dedicated. And just get out of their way is the only thing I'll say. Okay, point number eight. We've got to stop promoting bad photography as good because it's killing the entire industry. It's killing the professional industry and it's killing the relevance of the consumer industry because people don't know what's good. And that is a really hard thing to solve. It's like the fake news thing. Fake news was the best thing that Trump did because he knew his base was dumb enough to believe it. And so what all dictators and, and strongmen try to do is to say, if you want a piece of information, I'm the only person that has it. Not, not, not only it's just me, not even people in my circle. Because I'm going to go back on them at some point too, whether it's my daughter, my son-in-law, my immediate people surrounding me. I'm going to burn them at some point too. So if you want something, just come to me. I'm the only one who has it. Photography is muddled in mediocrity because you cannot produce something good at this volume, right? And so people are promoting everything because promotion is now an independent industry. And it's sort of over, overlaying photography, and it should be the other way around. should make something good and then promote it. Now we're just promoting, tossing some, like, sticks into the fire and just promote, 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 and hoping, hoping something sticks. And consequently, photography is in real trouble. The industry is in real trouble. The online world is going to shrink, too, because people are getting fed up with paying for, quote-unquote, influencers who don't perform. Um, and Jesus, you know, for me, when I see quote unquote influencers getting paid, it's nails on a chalkboard because 99.9% .9 of the time they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. They're often unprofessional. They often don't deliver on what they said. And often there's no return on that investment. And so let's get back to actually making something decent. Let's slow down. Let's take our time. Let's turn off social until we have something to say. How about that? Am I the only adult in the room? Admit it, people. Are you playing with uh, Simon right now? Me, me, me. Remember Simon, that game? Hated that game. Couldn't sleep after I played it. Okay, let's get to the good part.
0.9, 51 minutes in. This is what you're all waiting for. Shut up and don't tell me otherwise because I know you're lying. You're all boldface lying if, I, if you said, I really wanted to know about Russia or the political establishment in the U.S. No, you're lying. Maybe you wanted to know about Jeff Bridges. I am at a, I'm at a camera impasse. I am. I am at a camera impasse. I shouldn't be, but I am. And it's kind of fun because I haven't been at an impasse in a long time. Albania was the first time in the field in a long, long time. And again, I've said this many times. My goal as an instructor is not to go make a portfolio for myself. My goal as an instructor is to make sure that the student walks away and says, wow, that was interesting. That was fun. I learned some stuff. I feel really good about photography. That's the goal. One of the students who did really well during the class <clears throat> had a Fuji X-Pro3 with a little grip on it, which made it much easier to hold. And he had a 16 1.4, which I believe translates to a 24 1.4. Big lens, but beautiful. Very sexy lens hood on that lens. And that's the only thing he used the entire time. And he killed it. He did really well. And he also made some very nice magazines. They're short because, you know, people are trying to produce a magazine in a week. It's not like you're going to walk away with 100 pages. So they're, they're small, smallish magazines, but he did well. And I was like, I had never held a Fuji X-Pro3. And I picked it up and I was like, man, this is really nice. I really like this. It feels great. I like the fact that it's not really a video thing. It just basically is for stills and the screen on the back faces in and all that stuff. I was like, man, this is a slick machine. I might have to get one of these. I'll maybe wait for the X-Pro4 when it comes out in 2029 or wherever it's coming out. But anyway, I was like, this is really nice. I don't want the 16. I'd get some, you know, something, try to get something equally as fast that's a little longer. But I was like, wow, okay, maybe I'll do that. And then the X-H2 came out while we were there. Now, for me, as a still guy, I don't want the X-H2. That's just not my thing, right? I have to do video for work. <coughs> if Blurb went away, I don't know if I would do video anymore. I would probably disappear. And I would go back to my still camera, and I would write and record sound and do stills. That's it, probably. But... I was like, X-H2 for work, for blurb stuff, probably awesome. But unless they're going to buy it for me, I'm tired of buying my own cameras for work. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And then I had a student on the first trip to the south from Germany who is pure evil. He's pure evil because nice guy, super nice guy, really good photographer. But he's the devil. Because he said, oh, you know what I have in my bag you might want to look at? And I said, no, whatever it is, I don't want to look at it. And because he's the devil, he said, I'll go get it. And he came back with a Leica Q2 reporter in army green and black. And I knew right then and there that I was having a moral dilemma, that my life was no longer my life. My life was, now I can't unsee this, and I've had it in my hand for approximately 28 seconds, which matches the built-in focal length, and I was like, I want this camera. Now, the good news is that it's been out for a couple of years, and in the digital camera space, that's long in the tooth in my book. So the Q3 is what I would be looking for 
which is rumored to be a long way away, which is a good thing because the price tag on these things are insane. However, the longer I try to convince myself of that fact, the price tag is insane, I actually began to realize, because this is what we do as photographers, we, start, we, we really unravel logic, getting to the point where we want to be. What I realized is, you know, I'm not really a 28 guy. I'm more of a 35, 50 guy. It's rumored that the Q3 will be 60 megapixels as opposed to the 48 of the Q2. It's rumored the autofocus will be a little better. It's rumored that maybe there's a microphone jack, which would be awesome for me. The size of this camera is fantastic. But here's the, here's the not so crazy about the crazy price tag. A little button on the back that will quickly crop from 28 to 35 to 50 to 75. Now I have no interest in 75. 35 and 50, yes. Obviously when you crop, you're losing some of the sensor size. Your files are not gonna be as large, but the files on this camera looked insane. Full frame, built in 28 to 1.7, I think, lens, so fast. thing, And it's built like, it's built in Germany. It feels like a German built machine. Good battery life. Very, very simple camera. But there's another little feature. Whereas you grab the lens barrel halfway down and you twist it and it's a macro. So when you consider the price of Leica and the, consider the fact that you're getting a body that's built in Germany, that's a very, very solidly built machine, you're getting a, 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 a 28 built in. So you're getting the body and the lens. When you're talking about Leica lenses, that's pretty easy to go over the price tag of what this entire combo is. And you've got macro features. So in my mind, you've got a 28, a 35, a 50, and a macro, and the body at 60 megapixels. That's not bad. Yes, I just said that. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I could feed a small country for the price tag of this camera. But here's, here's, here's where I'm headed with this. Being back in the field in Albania was great. And oh, by the way, the technique that I deployed in Albania was I continued what I did in 2019, which was double exposures on an X-T2. But now I was using an X-T4, which gives me up to nine exposures on the frame. And they look gorgeous. There's probably, like I said, eight or 10 images total that are like, wow, that looks really beautiful. And so if I went back to Albania, I would be continuing that once again because I've done it twice. This would be the third trip. I should continue on in that same sequence. But looking at the size of the, Q, the Q2 and realizing about what I want to do in the future when I'm traveling and I'm teaching, the double exposure, multi-exposure thing, that's really just for Albania. I don't imagine continuing that down the road for other projects. I do feel it's a bit of a gimmick. And so shooting straight imagery to me is harder, more difficult, it's more of a challenge, and that's sort of what I'm after. The multis are like, anybody does them. They look pretty good. Yes, there's a trick to it. Yes, there's skill involved. Yes, the more you do it, the better it gets. Yes, they have dimension that maybe a straight photograph doesn't have. But again, bit of a gimmick, at least in my mind. I can't imagine getting on a plane with a Q2 or Q3, two batteries, and that's it. And we had two students on this trip, uh, husband and wife, <clears throat> and we get to get to Albania, right? And we're, we're transiting all the time. We're always moving from place to place. 
And I'm looking around, and I can't find their luggage. And I'm like, oh, crap. Did something happen? And they seem very calm. <coughs> I said, hey, I don't see your luggage. They go, we don't have any. We just have these backpacks. And they have this bag called a GORUCK, a GR1, GORUCK GR1, which has military origins. Very simple bag. They claim to be, it's like the best built backpack in the world. Small. They have the small ones. It comes in 21 and 26 liters. They have the 21s, I believe. And he had the X-Pro3. So all they had is a backpack. No checking, no nothing. I didn't check either on this trip, but I had a big, uh, much larger hard case roller bag. And I packed way too much, which I will never do again. But I looked at that and I was like, holy cow, a backpack and a Q2, Q3, one or the other. That is a blast. That, and a journal and a TV and a cooler and a 12-pack of Schlitz. And other than that, I wouldn't take anything and my Polaroids and a Wayne Newton blow-up doll. But that's it. And I think all of that would fit in that GORUCK one, which I don't have. They're super expensive, but they, they do look insanely well-built. But anyway, that is the camera that I'm looking for. I will probably get a Leica Q3. I'm not going to sell my Fujis. The Fujis work great for me for everything I'm using them for. It would be, a, it would be an addition, and that's it. Point number 10, we're at an hour. I'm going to give a much more updated on, uh, review on this later. Redshift stem and bars on the bike are great. I'm not feeling well enough right now to get on the bike yet, but I will soon. And um, the last thing I'm going to mention is, have I mentioned that I love the space pen, writing with the space pen? I do. I write every day. I've been cranking on my journal for the last four weeks. And the space pen, I'm still on the original ink. It's kind of amazing to me. And I'm very curious how far I can go with it. I joke a lot about the space pen, but I actually really like it. And again, I'm not a ballpoint guy. I love this pen. If you don't have one, you should get one. And I'm not sponsored. So that's it. Um, I did not lose my voice. I coughed a few times. My nose is running right now. It's running off onto the table in front of me. It's just a, it's a garish, snotty mess inside the van. It's probably contagious too. But um, anyway, I got through this. I'm glad I did it. It's been a long time since I've done one of these. Audio is so easy and so fun uh, compared to video. And it's just, I just got up today and I wasn't a hundred percent. And I was like, God, I can't sit in front of the computer and start editing Albania into a film. I got all my blurb stuff done. I got all my writing assignments done. And I was like, you know what? I just want to do something easy. And this is what I came to. So, uh, I'm glad you were here. If you're new to the podcast, there you go. That's where we are. And, uh, I look good. I look really good. I saw five minutes of the Anchorman the other night, and it just, every time I see it, I love it. You have, he's, let me start over. You have a world-class Heine. No, 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 let me, let me start over. I want to be on you. Um, that scene, I absolutely love. But anyway, appreciate you being here, and uh, I'll be back with more. Ciao.